Hang on just a moment. Can't get this thing shut off. Here we go. All right. I should have done that earlier, but it didn't. Nothing happened, so I didn't notice it. Okay. Uh, last year, we did a special Mother's Day sermon, so this year it's the men's turn to have a sermon on Father's Day, so that's what I've done. So we're not going to be in the book of Matthew this morning. We're going to go, actually, if you want to go where I'm going to start, you can go to Numbers chapter 13 in the Old Testament, and we're going to start with Numbers 13 and 14. So Numbers chapter 13 is where we're going to be in just a minute. So I'm addressing fathers on Father's Day, and this is for all the fathers out there, and I want to start this way. Um, I'm having a terrible time with my eyes. I put in my drops, and they're still watering. I can't see it. This is, this is the wrong day not to be able to see, because I'm going to read two chapters to you, and so we'll see if we can get through that in a, in a minute, all right? It says this uh, in, in our text. It says that uh, we should obey God in our families. And I know that most of us have read uh, a passage I'm going to bring up here in a second many times, and the question is, do we really believe what is written? Do we really believe what's in the Word of God? And here's the passage from 2 Corinthians 10, 3-4. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it for you. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not wage battle according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. The New Testament reminds us that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against principalities and powers, and we're talking about the demonic world in the dark places. Our weapons are spiritual weapons. They're not weapons of the flesh. When we face the enemy of our souls, we must use the weapons of divine power. Uh, picking up those weapons requires that we have faith in God, who is the power behind all things that are good. And one of the things we want to keep in mind is uh, sometimes as Christians we get into a battle and we pick up the weapons of the enemy to use things like uh, gossip and malice and strife and slander and that's going to defeat us. We have to pick up the things that are weapons of God and he outlines those for us. One of those is going to be faith and we'll talk about that this morning. Picking up those weapons requires that we have faith in God that they are powerful and they will be used the way they're supposed to be used. And those things are good. And today we speak to us dads. And the question that I would like to deal with here on this Father's Day is this. Are we encouraging our children to have complete faith in God? And if you're a grandparent, you still have children probably. And you need to be encouraging them to have faith in God. And if you're just a parent at this point and you have kids, you're to encourage them to have faith in God. To do this, uh, we are going to journey into the Old Testament and we're going to learn from some fathers who did the opposite. They did not have faith in God. They did not do what God called them to do. They did not obey. And we want to see what happens to them. And the whole point is that we learn from what they did in terms of their mistakes. From their shortcomings, we are going to learn not to do likewise. So my plan here is, let's see if I can do it better without my glasses on. I think I can. We're going to start reading in Numbers chapter 13, verse 1, and I'm going to go all the way through uh, chapter 14. So it'd probably be best if you follow along with me so you don't get lost and uh, you can see where I'm at, and hopefully that'll keep you interested in, in what we're looking at. So Numbers 13, they're just about to send spies into the, into the promised land, 
And in the promised land, they're going to find a land flowing with milk and honey. It's where God told them to go, where he wants them to go, but they're sending out some spies to see what it's like. So here's what happens, Numbers 13.1. And I'm going to use Yahweh for uh, his name in, in the text where it appears. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Send out for yourselves men, so that they may spy out the land of Canaan, which I am going to give to the sons of Israel. You shall send a man from each of their father's tribes, every one a leader among them. So these are not just guys that are good at hiking. We don't send them. He's picking out people that are leaders in every one of the 12 tribes. And he's going to send the leaders of these groups out uh, for this particular reconnoitering of the new land. Verse 3. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran and commanded of, as commanded of Yahweh, all of them men who were heads of sons of Israel. These were their names from the tribe of Reuben, Shemua, the son of Zakur, and from the tribe of Simeon, Shaphat, the son of Hori, from the tribe of Judah, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and from the tribe of Issachar, Egal, the son of Joseph, and from the tribe of Ephraim, Hoshea, the son of Nun, and from the tribe of Benjamin, Palti, the son of Raphu, and from Zebulun, Gadiel, the son of Sodi, and from the tribe of Joseph, and from the tribe of Manasseh, Gadi, the son of Susi, and from the tribe of Dan, Amiel, the son of Gemaliah, and from the tribe of Asher, Sether, the son of Michael, and from the tribe of Naphtali, Nabi, the son of Oshvi, and from the tribe of Gad, Geuel, the son of Maki. These are the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land. But Moses called Hoshea, the son of Nun, Joshua. Now verse 17. When Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan, he said to them, Go up there to the Negev. That just means the south country. It would be the arid place. Then go up into the hill country. See what the land is like, and whether the people who live in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many. How is the land in which they live? Is it good or bad? And how are the cities in which they live? Are they like open camps or with fortifications? How is the land? Is it fat or lean? Are there trees in it or not? Make an effort then to get some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the time of the first grape harvest. So they went up and they spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin to Rehob and to Lebo Hamath. Then when they had gone up to the Negev, into the Negev, they came to Hebron and Hymen, Shishai and Talmi. The descendants of Anak were there. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. Then they came to the valley of Eshkol, and that word means cluster. And from there they cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes, and they carried it on a pole between two men with some of the pomegranates and the figs. That place was called the valley of Eshkol because of the clusters which the sons of Israel cut down from there. When they returned from spying out the land the end, at the end of 40 days, they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Thus they told him and said, We went into the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites are living in the hill country, and the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses, and he said, 
We should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against these people, for they are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone in spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. There are also, we saw, the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who were there, the Nephilim, and we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so uh, we were in their sight. Chapter 14. Then all the congregation lifted up their voices, and they cried, and they wept all that night. All the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said, would that we have died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in the wilderness. Why is Yahweh bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives, our little ones, will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces in the presence of the assembly of the congregation of the sons of Israel, Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, of those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, The land in which we, uh, which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If Yahweh is pleased with us, then he will bring us into the land, and he will give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against Yahweh, and do not fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey and their protection has been removed from them, and Yahweh is with us. Do not fear them. But the congregation said to stone them with stones to death. Then the glory of Yahweh appeared in the tent of meeting uh, to all the sons of Israel. And Yahweh said to Moses, How long will this people spurn me? How long will they not believe in me? Despite all the signs which I have performed in their midst, I will smite them with the pestilence and dispossess them, and I will make you a nation greater and mightier than they. But Moses said to Yahweh, Then the Egyptians will hear of it, for by your strength you brought up this people from the midst of the land, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land and that they have heard you, O Lord. You are in the midst of this people, for you, O Yahweh, have seen, are seen eye to eye while your cloud stands over them. And you go before them in a pillar of a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you slay this people as one man, then the nations will hear of it and, they, and your fame, and they will say this, because Yahweh could not bring his people into the land, which he had promised by oath. Therefore, he slaughtered them in the wilderness. But now, I pray, let the power of the Lord be great, as you have declared. Yahweh is slow to anger. He is abundant in loving kindness, forgiving iniquity and transgression. But he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Pardon, I pray, the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your loving kindness, just as you also have forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. So Yahweh said, I have pardoned them according to your word. But indeed, as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of Yahweh. Surely all the men who have seen my glory and my signs which I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, yet they put me to the test these ten times and have not listened to my voice, shall by no means see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who spurned me see it. 
but my servant Caleb, because he had a different spirit and followed me fully. I will bring into the land which, is it, which he entered, and his descendants shall take possession of it. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites lived in the valleys, turned tomorrow, and set out to the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who is grumbling against me? I have heard the complaints of the sons of Israel, which they are making against me. Say to them, As I live, says Yahweh, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will surely do. Your corpses will fall in this wilderness, even all of your numbered men, according to your complete number, from 20 years old and upward, who have grumbled against me. Surely you will not come into the land which I have swore to settle you in, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Notice this, verse 31. Your children, however, whom you said would become prey, I will bring them in, and they will know the land which you have rejected. But as for you, your corpses will fall in this wilderness. Your sons shall be shepherds for 40 years in the wilderness, and they will suffer for your unfaithfulness until your corpses lie in the wilderness. According to the number of the days which you spied out in the land, 40 days, for every day you shall bear your guilt one year, even 40 years, and you will know my opposition. I, Yahweh, have spoken, surely this I will do with all this evil congregation who are gathered together against me in this wilderness. They shall be destroyed and there they will die. As for the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land, who returned and made the congregation grumble against him by bringing out a bad report concerning the land, even those men who brought out a very bad report and of the land died by the plague before the Lord. But Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh remained alive out of those men who went to spy out the land. When Moses spoke these words to all the sons of Israel, the people mourned greatly. In the morning, however, they rose up early and they went out to the ridge of the hill country and they said, Here we are, we have indeed sinned, but we will go up to the place which Yahweh has promised. But Moses said, Well, then you are transgressing the command of the Lord when it, is not, when it will not succeed. Why are you doing that? Do not go up and, or you will be struck down before your enemies, for Yahweh is not among you. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites will be there in front of you, and you will fall by the sword inasmuch as you turned back from following Yahweh, and Yahweh is not with you. But they went up without listening to the ridge of the hill country. Neither the ark of the covenant of Yahweh of Moses left the camp, and the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in the hill country came down and struck them and beat them down as far as Hormah. All right, first of all, thanks for hanging in there for two chapters. I appreciate that. Now I want to go back, and I want to look at some of the things that we need to learn from that. And that's going to be point one if you're following along in your bulletin. In Numbers 13 to 14, God doesn't send us on a mission so that we can end it by disobeying him. God sends people on mission. Sometimes the mission looks rough, and that is not when you decide you're going to disobey God. Instead, you're going to go forward, and you're going to believe him. So looking back at these two chapters, in chapter 13, uh, verse 2, I turned too many pages, there we go, it said this, send out for yourself men so that they may spy out the land of Canaan, which I am going to give the sons of Israel. So it's a, it's a done thing, I'm going to give it to you, and you shall send a man from each of the father's tribes, every one of them leaders among them. Yahweh is going to give them the land. That's his promise on the mission. He didn't say anything about the opposition because the opposition apparently doesn't matter. It's a promise from God. 
God sends them to see the goodness of the land that he is sending them into, not to fixate on the size of the inhabitants. The enemies of God always, no matter when or where, the enemies of God always have fortifications. We need to remember that. But the man of God always has faith. By our faith, obstacles are overcome. By fear, obstacles overcome us. By faith, obstacles are overcome. By fear, obstacles overcome us. In one sense, in verse 31 of chapter 13, where it says this, But these men who had gone up with them said, We are not able to go up against this people, for they are too strong for us. In one sense, these, uh, these guys are correct. The enemy is too strong for them, underlining the word them, to overcome. But I want you to remember this. The enemy doesn't have to overcome us. They have to overcome God. And that's the big difference. The enemy is uh, not something that has to overcome us. They have to overcome God. We just, we just work for God. Who is there that can do that? Who is there that can overcome God? The answer is, there is no one. And then in chapter 14, here Israel says, let's just go back to Egypt. Slavery was better than following God's messed up plan of death and destruction for us out here in the middle of nowhere in the wilderness. And it seems like fear is the main problem of the people, and it usually is fear that's our problem. Remember, fear kills faith. I want to look down at verse 10 in chapter 14. And it says this, But the congregation said to stone them with stones. Then the glory of Yahweh appeared in the tent of meeting to all the sons of Israel. There they are. They're facing the nation. The nation has taken the bad side of the report and said, we're not going to go up. And they say, why don't we just kill Moses and Aaron, get them out of the way. And then the glory of the Lord shows up in their, in their uh, tabernacle. And I want you to learn from that that Yahweh intervenes for those who put their faith in him. Yahweh shows up for those who put their faith in him. Then verse 11. And Yahweh said to Moses, how long will this people spurn me? And how long will they not believe in me, despite all the signs which I performed in their midst? What's that sound like? That sounds just like what we're studying in Matthew, where Jesus wants to know, how long have I been with you guys? How long will you not have faith? Why don't you have faith? Why don't you, you move forward with God in faith? And that I want us to think about. See, despite mountains of evidence to believe, they refuse to believe, and God wants to know why. You know what? Uh, we may have personal evidence in our own life of God helping us. I'm, I'm sure we all do. We also have a mountain of evidence in the word of God. And this, this is one of those places. And there's all kinds of places where we see people that put their faith in God, and God comes through, and God shows up. Then I want to drop down to verse 31, another issue with these guys. They basically said to God, you brought us out here to march us into this land full of giants who are power, more powerful than us. And the only purpose you had was to kill our wives and to kill our children. You hear what they're saying? Hmm. We can't trust the safety of our wives and children to you. And then God says in verse 31, after he pronounces judgment on them, your children, however, whom you said would become a prey. See, God heard that says, I will bring them in, and they will know the land which you have rejected. In the meantime, they're going to have to shepherd flocks for 40 years in the wilderness because you didn't believe in me, 
and I'm going to keep them safe, and I'm going to take them into the land. They're going to receive what you should have received, but you didn't because of fear. So God will take care of the kids. God will take care of the wives despite their insistence that God would see them killed. What a thing to say about God. You have, you have no interest in my kids. You don't care about my wife. You just want to kill them out here. And so we're going to head to Egypt after we kill Moses and Aaron. And God said, really? I'll take care of your kids. I'll see to it that they get into the land. And then verses 40 to 43. In the morning, however, they rose up early and they went up into the ridge, into the hill country, saying, Here we are. We have indeed sinned, but we will go up to the place Yahweh has promised. So they had a night to think about it. They cried about it. And they said, You know what? In the morning, we're going to do the right thing. Yeah, we sinned, but we're going to go up. And Moses said, I just got through telling you, don't go up. God is not with you. I just told you that. And you're not going to go anywhere with God today if you do. We're supposed to turn south and go into the wilderness, and you're disobeying God. What did you get the last time you disobeyed God? You're going to get it again. And that's exactly what happened. He said, don't go up, and you'll be struck down before the Amalekites and the Canaanites. And they said, we're going up in, in honor of the Lord, and they went up and they got slaughtered. And it didn't work. Why? Because God wasn't with them. See, God is in charge of success. God is in charge of failure, not us. They are disobeying again, and they will be defeated as a result of that disobedience. Will they ever learn? And that is what disobedience does. We must obey, and we must do it at the proper time. And that's what God is saying. And I want to go to Numbers chapter 32, and we're going to use this as an illustration as we move towards the point that I want us to get this morning as, as dads. And we're hoping moms are listening too. That'd be great for them. Numbers 32, verses 7 through 9. That's the next point in the bulletin. He says, Now why are you discouraging the sons of Israel from crossing over into the land which Yahweh has given them? This is what your fathers did when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to see the land, to spy it out. For when they went up into the valley of Eshcol, they saw the land, they discouraged the sons of Israel so that they did not go into the land which Yahweh had given them. All right, there's two things going on here. There's two brothers, and uh, he's saying to these two brothers, you know, you're like your fathers. Their fathers like Shemua and Geuel and Reuben and Gad. And Reuben and Gad are saying, you know what, we've got this side of the Jordan. Thank you for helping us. You guys go ahead and cross over and get your own land. And we're not going to go with you. <laughs> Moses said, are you kidding me? That's what your fathers did. And they discouraged the people. Now you're saying to your brothers, we're not going to help you. And so they made the hearts of the children of Israel melt. And Moses makes sure they know that's what your dads did. And it cost them their lives in the wilderness. Do you get it? Dads, so speaking to us, here's the point. We must never discourage our kids from obeying God. Certainly, we must not encourage them to disobey him. Good dads teach obedience over comfort. Good dads teach obedience to their children over comfort. Faith over fear. Our fathers must have faith because kids learn about faith from their fathers and their mothers, but today it's Father's Day. I want to jump back here, or up a little bit. I guess we're really close to Deuteronomy chapter 1. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 
verses 27 and 28. Deuteronomy 1, 27 and 28. And you grumbled in your tents, and you said, Because the Lord hates us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go up, O brethren? Our brethren have made our hearts melt, saying, The people are bigger and taller than we. The cities are larger and fortified to heaven. And besides, we saw the sons of the Anakim there. Those were the giant people in the, in the day, like one that David killed with his sling. What they said was, God hates us, and our brothers have made our hearts melt. God, the Bible says, does not hate us. Uh, the opposite is true. In fact, it says in Jeremiah 29.11, as I'm turning there, Jeremiah 29.11, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. You know, basically, God is not saying, I, I brought you to the edge of the promised land, not to kill your wives and your children and you, but to give all this land to you. And it's a land flowing with milk and honey. I didn't bring you here to die. <laughs> Why would you say that God hates you? And by the way, no one said that the cities were fortified to heaven. That's a little bit of what we call hyperbole. Not a single mention was made of them being fortified up to heaven. The last time somebody tried that, God came down and destroyed their fortress, right? Uh, when, when God came down and destroyed the Tower of Babel and Nimrod. I want you to understand this as I understand it. No fortification is an obstacle for Yahweh. No fortification, doesn't matter how high it is, is an obstacle for Yahweh. So what if it is to heaven? Big deal. It doesn't matter. People don't have to overcome us. They have to overcome our God. It's easy to overcome us if we fall into fear instead of having faith. And then we let these obstacles look like they're fortified all the way to heaven when they're not. I want to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 32. If you want to go there with me. Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 39. Where Moses says, See now that I, I am he, and there is no God besides me. It is I who put to death and give life. I have wounded, and it is I who heal, and there is no one who can deliver from my hand. God made a promise. The land is yours. You just have to obey and go take it. That's all you have to do. And they said, no, it's too much. We don't have the faith for that. Now I want to go all the way back to Isaiah 59. We're building pictures here from the Old Testament to teach us a lesson about faith. Isaiah 59 and verse 1. Behold, Yahweh's hand is not so short that he cannot save, nor is his ear so dull that he cannot hear. Who is it that we're talking to? Who is it that we're trusting? And then going back to Deuteronomy chapter 10. I know I'm running you all over the Bible. That's good. Deuteronomy chapter 10. And verse 16. I'm, yeah, 10, 16. 
He says, so circumcise your heart and stiffen your neck no longer. If you belong to God, then the Holy Spirit has circumcised your heart. That's not something you can see. It's not a physical thing. It just means you bear the marks of Christ on your heart. Even in the Old Testament, he said, circumcise your heart. In other words, belong to me. Let me be your God. Let me guide you. All I'm asking for you, from you, is to have faith. That's all that he wants. He wants us to have faith, and it seems so hard and so difficult for us as human beings to do that, but it's what God expects us to do. And he's given us all kinds of evidence as to why we should do it. So does your heart beat with the marks of Christ on it? Colossians chapter 2 and verse 11. And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. What does it look like? Or what does it produce in a person's life when we belong to God? And the answer is seen both in Colossians 12 and 13 and back in Deuteronomy 10, 12 and 13. Uh, Yeah, I have time to read that. Deuteronomy chapter 10. And then I'm going to go back to Colossians. And it says, Now Israel, what does Yahweh your God require from you but that you fear Yahweh your God not the Anakim, not the Nephilim, to walk in his ways, to love him, and to serve Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the Lord's commandments and his statutes, which he says he is commanding them today, and they are good. And then Colossians chapter 2, also uh, in verses 12 and 13. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. If we are his, then we are no longer our own. We were bought with a price, the blood of Christ. Therefore, we must glorify God in our bodies and by our faith. And finally, in Colossians 3.21, we learn that we're not to irritate our children with a lack of faith, causing them to be disheartened with God. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 21. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart so they will not become despaired, so they would not lose motivation to follow God. Now, you can use that in a lot of different illustrations. Today, I'm deciding to use it with the issue of faith. So dads, don't irritate your children with a lack of your faith, causing them to be disheartened with God. To exasperate means to cause someone to react in such a way that suggests acceptance of a challenge. Don't put your kids in a place where they're accepting a challenge to you. It is to irritate them, to antagonize them, to embitter them or disillusion them. We usually talk about putting rules on them that are not reasonable, like trying to hang up your clothes if you're a little girl on a, on a thing that's about six foot tall and she can't reach it, and you're just exasperating them and embittering them. But what I'm wanting you to see today is you can do the same thing the Old Testament fathers did, and you can exasperate your children. You can irritate your children when they see that you don't have faith. Sure, you talk about God. Sure, you talk a good program. But where's your faith, Dad? What are you trying to get me to do? 
what do you want me to do? You want me to act like you, or do you want me to have faith? We should never hear that. Don't cause them to be disheartened with God and his abilities. Don't cause them, by a lack of faith, to lose motivation and discourage them where God is concerned. If we, as dads, show a lack of faith in God, what do we expect our children will do with God? We exasperate our kids when we tell them that God can't do something, that he can't handle the obstacle that they are facing. We don't want them to think that God can't take care of them when there is a danger in their face that appears to be insurmountable like it goes all the way to heaven. Wouldn't it be wonderful if they would learn from the way that we talk, the way that we pray, and how our faith works out in our own lives? And they can't learn that unless we model it. And so what I'm asking us to do today, and I'm asking myself to do as well, of course, is to be fathers of faith. Wouldn't it be nice that if your kids, when you're gone, remember you as, my dad was a man of faith. And he lived for God. That, I think, is very important to us. In Matthew 18, by way of application here, so that's also in your bulletin there, verses 5 and 6. I'm sorry, Matthew 18, not 8. I read that and I said, that doesn't work. Okay, here we go. Matthew 18, 5 and 6. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, see that's, believe is an issue of faith, right? So whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, meaning in their faith, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Ouch. Wow. Number two, encourage your kids that God can do what he has promised to do. And don't discourage them with a bad report about God's promises and commands, like the Israelites did in Numbers. Number three, you and I are not the one or the ones who ultimately protect our children's hearts and lives. God is. God is. And finally, love your kids enough that they know that you are a man of faith. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we live in a world that doesn't care about things like faith. They don't care in, about things of learning uh, the ways of God and how God wants us to live and how he wants us to act. And it's not easy to be a Christian in these days. There's so much against us. But we, uh, we plead for our fathers and pray for them, that they would have courage and strength. But most of all, that they would be men of faith and that our children would see how God supports and strengthens and delivers people of faith so that they would pick this up and they would use it in their lives and emulate us as we obey you. And we pray for your help. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.
Would you bow with me as we close our service today? Father God, I do praise you and thank you that we can come to your house. We can learn more about you. We just thank you, Lord, that through you, all things can be better. Pray, Father, for allowing us to be parents, for allowing us to be fathers, and we just pray, Father, that uh, we would serve you well in those capacities. Again, Father, I thank you for all that you do for us, and pray, Father, this week that we would serve you better. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank <laughs> you.